year's weird because my the the Sundays are Christmas and New Year's and so I had a Christmas episode with Tony Prather and now I have a really cool uh, way to kick off the new year with Corey Paddock and Corey is not a Texas theater educator Corey has no ties to Texas at all Corey's not even in education but I selfishly love to have Broadway designers on my podcast whenever I possibly can. Uh, Jennifer Shriver was on uh, not too, too long ago, Jen Shriver, and uh, now Corey Paddock. And Corey did come to me as a recommendation from Jen, and that was really awesome. It's awesome of her to not only give me recommendations and give me the time of day. Yes, she's just a person, um, but just, you know, people are busy, you know, and so it was really cool of her to suggest uh, Corey, and it was a perfect suggestion, as you're about to hear. Uh, a really well-spoken guy, very, you can tell he's an artistic person, uh, not to stereotype, but, you know, you just, you, you know, you talk to some people, and you just kind of hear certain attributes, characteristics in their, the way they talk, and the way they, the way they just kind of converse with others, and conversate, converse, whatevs, um, and he was, uh, he was, he was great. It was awesome. Like, I, again, it was another one of those interviews that I really don't care if anybody listens to. I selfishly just loved being able to talk to somebody that uh, is is a, a superior to me and somebody that I can strive to be more like. And what's funny is we find out, or I found out that. Um, we, we have a common friend. Uh, I will call him a good friend. Uh, I don't know if Corey will say the same, but uh, Nicholas Phillips, Nick Phillips. So uh, that was kind of neat. Um, a lot of things have happened today, T- today in general. Uh, I'm recording this on the Friday because tomorrow's a, a New Year's Eve, bruh, and it's about to get lit. Just kidding. I'm probably going to play video games. But um, uh, first of all, Barbara Walters just passed away as I'm recording this. Uh, I just got that news from my sister. I did not. I, you know, she's always been old to me, but I did not realize she was 93. So uh, very sad about that. Uh, sad to hear about, um, you know, the health of the previous Pope, Pope, De- Pope Benedict. Um, not, not a Catholic person, obviously, but I think the Pope, there's something about the Pope that resonates with all, the entire world. That makes them kind of important, you know, uh, similar to the president of the United States to other countries. It's like they're, they have no legal bearing on that country, but there's something important about the president of the United States uh, in the world, same as the Pope. So uh, sad to hear that. Um, that's, you know, that's enough of the sad news, but some fun stuff. Uh, so there's a, you know, tech theater educator page on Facebook and it is sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, it has good intentions at all times. I think everybody on there, when they post and when they have something to say, intends for it to be positive. Uh, but it doesn't come across that way all the time, especially when people post about jobs. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't comment and say we should be paid more. Every single career, every single career, every single job thinks that they should get more money, right? And some are right, some are fair wages, and some uh, get paid just fine. Like, I don't think anybody's arguing that baseball players and professional soccer players need to get paid more money. Uh, one would argue they get paid more than enough. Teachers need more money. You know, 
somebody working a minimum wage job at McDonald's who's 16 and it's their first gig, yeah, they're they're probably okay. Okay, so uh, they're they're all different types of levels to this. But uh, every time somebody posts about a job on that page, it gets just lambasted. And it's not just jobs too. It's it's when you post something that has you know uh, a picture of hey, I need a suggestion for how to do X, Y, and Z. And in the background of the picture, there's like a fire extinguisher that has a flat right next to it. And somebody posts, hey, uh, I don't know the answer to your question, but that fire extinguisher should have at least five feet of clearance. It's like, bro, um, back off. You don't need to flex all the time. Uh, A lot of the people on that page don't even have uh, classroom jobs. So that's the, that's the, uh, I guess the irony of it, maybe not irony, just the suckiness of it. Um, so the technical director in the state of Texas, that's right. I said it, Mel Hinosa Edwards, um, Mel made a page finally, uh, and it is the Texas high school TDs, which by the way, I wrote an article, um, and, uh, I won't tell you where this article is going to be because it's not being, it's not, it hasn't been published yet, but you know, hopefully it will. Uh, I was asked to write an article, um, for us, for a, a online magazine and I, I wrote it and I titled it, uh, where have all the TDs gone, right? To, to, to play off of the, where have all the cowboys gone? And I asked my beautiful, my wife, my wife, um, to, uh, proofread it because I proofread things all the time, as some people, <laughs> as some people know, and I let them know that they have uh, problems in it. So I asked my wife to read it, excuse me, my wife to read it. And she said, what is this title? And I said, what's wrong with it? It's just like, where have all the cowboys gone? Where have all the TDs gone? She goes, but like, say it like, say the, say the title. And I said, where have all the TDs gone? And then it hit me. And I realized, um, probably shouldn't, uh, title it, where have all the TDs gone? So, uh, anyway, I digress, but this is Texas high school T D's T is in Tom D is in Delta. Um, and, uh, there are already quite a few people on it, maybe because I put them there. Uh, but I highly recommend that you join it. And, and we're just going to like, if you have a question, ask, ask, don't be afraid. And we're not going to ridicule, we know that you may be in a situation where when you took the picture or you asked the question, you weren't in the most ideal situation. Nine out of 10 times, we're actually in a situation that we're trying to get the answer right when we ask it. Uh, It's a time situation. So we will be empathetic, unlike other pages. Sorry, no offense to that, to the admins that run that other page. I like them. I'm friends with some of them. Uh, but that page can just be a lot and, and the people on there think that they're helping a lot and, and they are, but it's, it's sandwiched in between, uh, comments that are just hurtful sometimes to, to educators that don't need to be told that at that particular moment that they took that picture, that fire extinguisher is out of code. Okay. So, um, there's that. The other thing is that T tech is less than two weeks and two weeks away now. And the big news um, is that Concord Theatricals and Dramatic Publishing, uh, DPC, uh, they will be at T-Tech now, and they will be there uh, answering questions that you might have regarding your UIL One Act play. This is not a ploy to get you there, although it hopefully will um, for lots of other reasons. It, But they've actually offered up their services to because they knew that there would be a lot of educators in one place for a few days and that they could they could do some customer service right and help people out with uh, a very stressful time with UIL one act play because apparently uh, it, it is stressful and it's more stressful right now uh, so uh, they will be there uh, I'm gonna be there too I'm gonna actually be there with a light board and just sitting. And if you need some assistance on an ION or, or, you know, an ETC element, which is, is pretty much the same syntax, same buttons, similar buttons at least, uh, come talk to me uh, and I'll have some lights. I'll just be playing around. Um, but yeah, come to T-Tech. It's in Rockwall, January 12th to the 14th. It's a great deal. Lots of, lots of really awesome uh, 
not only educators will be there just uh, cavorting. Is that the right word? Uh, maybe not. But anyway, I don't care. I don't teach English. Uh, but there will be lots of really cool things happening. I promise if they're not, you can come find me and uh, we can chit-chat about what you want to see there. Okay? I think that might be it. I think that's it. Happy New Year, everyone. Thanks to uh, Straight No Chaser for lending their tunes for all Lang Syne. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and uh, make sure you uh, buy a t-shirt. It's a great New Year gift. <laughs> Friend me on Facebook. Join the Texas High School TDs. TDs. Um, and uh, yeah, friend me again. I'll see you at T-Tech. Enjoy this week with Corey Paddock. It is, again, a phenomenal chat. One of my favorites of all time. Enjoy. Uh, my fear bug bit me probably because when I was a kid, uh, my mom liked going to the theater. And so she would take me to see the theater. Uh, you know, I think often as parents do, you take your kid to see some little children's theater, children's play, uh, expose them to things. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. So, um, you know, it started out uh, children's theater, yeah. those kinds of things. And that blossomed into seeing more uh, professional theater. And um, very quickly, I was like, oh, I want to do this. Uh, so probably when I was maybe like, um, you know, six, seven, eight, or the, those ages, um, I started doing onstage stuff. Uh, and I did all the classes, the acting classes, the dance classes, the singing lessons, uh, and did all that, and then um, started performing. And uh, thought that's what it was going to be. Um, I thought I wanted to be a performer, and um, was a performer pretty much all the way through high school. Uh, and it wasn't until towards the end of high school that I started uh, second guessing that uh, and thinking, you know what, I'm not sure actually if being a performer is right for me. But I really am into lighting. And I started paying more and more attention to it. Um, and then ultimately decided that that's what I wanted to study, even though I had very, very little experience doing it before college. Um, I felt like I had a knack and um, the little that I had done, I'd really enjoyed. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so college was really the first time that I kind of pivoted towards lighting. Um, and then um, it, it's been that ever since. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, uh, very uh, uh, easy childhood. I was an only child. We lived in the same house my whole life. Uh, um, and uh, my parents were very supportive still to this day. Uh, it helped being an only child because um, I could sort of have a, a, any whim of mine sort of uh, um, uh, uh, entertained and uh, grew up in Pittsburgh and then uh, studied at Syracuse University uh, and then moved to New York and I've been here ever since. Uh, so when you were, because, you know, being from Texas, I just had this conversation a couple of days ago with somebody about how you drive five hours and you're still in Texas, right? Uh, so the Pittsburgh life, that's not necessarily true. I mean, I know Pennsylvania is long, not tall. Uh, but it is, it is very long, yeah. No, believe it or not, I had never even been to New York until – after I graduated from high school, oh, really? it was like my graduate, my graduation present was to come to New York and see a Broadway show. I'd never seen a real Broadway show. I'd seen national tours that came through Pittsburgh for years and years, but I never actually seen a Broadway show. So, um, yeah, it wasn't until after high school. That was my first chance. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, Pennsylvania is a very, very wide state. Um, and so it's not, you know, people think of it as sort of East Coast-ish, but it's a good, you know, seven hour yeah. drive to New York. Um, but thankfully, Pittsburgh was a pretty good theater town and has become even more so uh, in the past, you know, 20 some years since I've been gone. So I, I was exposed to a lot of different theater in Pittsburgh, musicals, plays at different levels, uh, tours, you know, and then we would even see, you know, things that came through like, uh, you know, whether it's the Ice Capades or Disney on Ice or or or, or those sorts of touring shows. And so I, I got a pretty good exposure uh, kind of just in that that Pittsburgh hub. Did, what was the first show you saw? What was that show you, you mentioned? You mean the first show ever? Yeah, no, no, no. Bro the, first... the Broadway, the Broadway show. Oh, the first Broadway show. You know, I can never remember. I, I know it was <laughs> one of two things. We came to New York uh, in 2000. One, yeah. and we saw Aida, and we saw Full Monty, 
And I don't remember technically which one was first, but um, I know they were both really uh, uh, seminal to me, especially Aida. Uh, 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 the lighting for Aida, uh, the Natasha Katz lit the original, uh, was just like, I was just blown away. I just sort of never seen anything like it. And it just really furthered uh, uh, my love of this and, and what I wanted to do. And, and you know, Fulmani was, a, was another really, really fun show. It looked great. It was lit by Hal Binkley, who years later would become a friend of mine uh, and um, uh, became a big fan of both of their work, you know, for years on. So those were the first two that I saw on Broadway. So uh, this is a super open-ended question, but for you, and you, you sort of alluded to this about sort of at the end of your high school journey, switching over from performing to, to designing really, but uh, why, why lighting design? Why, why is it, you know, I, I jokingly say to my sound designer friends, uh, nobody in the audience knows when the lighting designer screws up, but they know when a sound designer does. So, uh, yeah, that's why I could never be a yeah. sound designer. Sound design is <laughs> terrifying to me. Yeah. Um, uh, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Um, why lighting? Um, I mean, uh, the short answer is, I don't know, you know, that's just what, I gravitated to the the slightly more interesting answer is that um, probably before I was interested in lighting, I was interested in magic. I was a really big magic nerd as a kid, and I'm still a bit of a closeted magic nerd uh, today. Um, and uh, you know, there was a period as as kids go through every week wanting to be something else. You know, there was the period of wanting to be a magician. Thank God I grew out of that. But um, I uh, the impetus has never gone away um i think that light is i think people don't really understand light i think clothing people can get they wear clothes every day i think scenery we sort of get it's a piece of wood it's a flat it's a thing it's a curtain and i think sound people get more and more um we know what we know what a piece of music is um as as we've become more more um exposed to technology for, on a consumer level you know, I think uh, I can't tell you the number of sh like smaller shows I did early in my career where the directors like made all the sound cues or picked the music. You know, it's a thing that that a lot of people feel like, oh, I can do that. Uh, um, you know, I'm not saying that's true, and certainly not at the highest level. But um, I think lighting is a thing that that people find mystifying, and I've not met a lot of like directors or costume designers or other people that go like, oh yeah, I could, I think I could figure out lighting. Um, it's uh, it's it's magic to people. Um, and, um, the fact that you can take an empty room and put all of these weird metal objects that put out light in different kinds of forms and different colors. And, uh, and that, um, when you know how to do that, that it creates something magical on stage. Um, and there's so many, there's so many ways to create magic with light on stage, whether it's people appearing or disappearing through the use of color, taking something that's flat and making it appear dimensional um you know making someone appear behind a scrim which to this day is a thing that still like gives me chills when it works correctly um i just think that that there's such a, a huge crossover between um what i enjoyed uh in the magic world and then what i enjoy as a light designer and being able to create those moments for an audience that 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 feel magical that in one moment the stage can be one thing and um in, a, in an instant later it can be completely transformed into something else um that's really magical to me and so um that i think that's sort of you know subconsciously kind of what probably led me to this and and to this day i still feel like when i'm um when i'm creating and when i'm you know making making moments on stage or transitions or figure out how to get from one thing to another you know it's always like what is the most magical way to do this for an audience so i think that's probably the reason so uh i i when I was a younger designer, I worked at a theater that had no idea that I didn't know what I was talking about, but they, because they didn't know, I was able to like really experiment a lot with shows and stuff and get to know how a Fresnel works and how a PAR and a Lico and all, you know, all these different tools, right? This is back when you actually, no LEDs and things like that. You had to know how mm -hmm. much power you were plugging into a plug. Um, right. Do you have a theater that you kind of credit with letting you grow, uh, letting you kind of experiment a little bit. And I know the experimentation 
still continues. Like I think as lighting designers, that's kind of the fun a little bit is you, you can experiment to an extent and then you can correct it almost instantly uh, or find yeah. ways to correct it. But is it, do you have somebody that you can kind of credit that with? Um, I mean, I would say two things. I would say obviously college was a lot, was the bulk yeah. of that because it was really my first time uh, uh, doing lighting for real. So, um, and I always say this to students, like, you know, you're never going to have this much like free reign to experiment after you graduate. You know, a lot of colleges, they have like multiple theaters and different kinds of lighting equipment and consoles, and you can sign out a room and you can, you and your friends can put on a show. And for the most part, it doesn't cost you anything because it all that's owned by your school. So um, I did a lot of, of that in school of just like playing and experimenting. Uh, uh, and then, but I would say the other places, so I mentioned that I was a performer. Um, I did a lot of my performing with a company called Pittsburgh Musical Theater, uh, uh, which went through a couple names when I was a kid, but that's what it's been now for the past, you know, 25 years. Uh, uh, and so I had been a performer with them for years. And as I started transitioning to lighting, um, they essentially let me uh, start doing that on their shows. Um, I assisted some of their lighting designers for a couple of years. Uh, and then I started lighting my own. And before I moved to New York and even a little bit after I'd come here, uh, I would still light stuff for them and eventually was lighting shows in the venues that I had worked at as a performer. Um, and so, uh, and that was, that was a company run by a, a guy named Ken Gargaro uh, who's a big name in Pittsburgh theater, if anyone is from Pittsburgh. Um, but they really trusted me, considering I, I had no real experience being a light designer, to light start lighting some of their shows uh, and kind of just learning learning to do it by doing it. Uh, and so um, that was, I really appreciated that. Uh, and that was a big opportunity for me. Yeah, much of, uh, much of your work, I, you know, I looked at your, Obviously, I don't have a crack research team by any means. I think I, I am the team. I put the I in team. But uh, I looked at your reel and such, and um, I noticed that a lot of your work, and I know that this is what you advertise. It's not necessarily all you have done, uh, is much, is, is grand. It's a larger scale. You know, it's uh, tall trim heights, you know, things like that. Do you uh, now find it a challenge to kind of go into a space that has multiple restrictions to kind of, I don't know if it's pare down or if it's kind of uh, work down to the size of the space. Um, and, and that question could be completely moot being that again, like I said, those are the, those are the shows you have put into your own reel. <laughs> As an advertiser. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's less about size. Yeah. I mean, I, I still work in theaters of all sizes. Yeah. I would say it's more about like resources. Um, you know, I did, uh, uh, you're right. M most of what I do is certainly on the larger side. I do primarily musicals, which by their nature are usually larger uh, uh, than a play. Um, so it, it can be weird to go do a show with like no moving lights or, or only a couple or, 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 you know, few lights that sort of LED or change color, you know, that part can be a, a challenge. And I know, I know some people kind of enjoy that back to basics. Um, for me, uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it feels sometimes a little bit tedious because it's like this technology exists. I don't, as like an academic experiment, I don't need to sort of do it the old fashioned way where there's like scrollers or no LED, like the technology exists. It makes everybody's lives easier and ultimately cheaper usually uh, um, because there's less power or there's less work calls or there's less lamps or less gel or whatever, less lights to hang, the focus is shorter. So um, when I have less resources, it, it can be a little tedious. It sometimes makes tech go a lot faster because there's less things to play with. Um, so, I mean, I would say that's the, that's one of the challenge. The, I mean, the other challenge is simply like doing a play, which is, I don't do a lot of straight plays. Um, and it's, um, it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because the longer I do more musicals, the less I get called to do plays right. because I get more and more known as someone who does musicals, which I'm generally fine with. I like doing musicals more than plays. Um, I love 
music. Um, it's one of the reasons that I do this is because I love the musical uh, aspect to it. Um, but when I do a play, uh, it can be hard to kind of flex different muscles. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm the first one to say that, like, you know, I'm not the guy to call to do like a realistic one set play um i could sort of fumble my way through it and i think it would probably be fine um but there are a lot of people that do that a lot better than i do uh and um i'm i'm okay with that because i probably like musicals better than they do so um i like that we all sort of find our our paths um and so uh but it, yeah it can be a it can be a funny experience when i am you know the bulk of my work is just sort of like adjusting front light levels right. as people move around a living room um, it's certainly not, uh, it's not where I excel. Um, but also like, like you said, I, I'm not a person who thinks that lighting should disappear. I think again, if you're doing a certain kind of theater, if you're doing a certain kind of play, um, the lighting should disappear, um, and it should feel naturalistic and you shouldn't be aware of the lighting. Um, again, that's not my strength. Um, there are, I could name 10 designers who do that much better than I do. Um, my strength is in doing you know, sort of big flashy stuff or, you know, big, big, large gestures, lots of color. Like you said, you know, big, big, tall sets, big, huge stages, you know, outdoor stuff, or arena things. You know, I've been doing more of that kind of thing over the past couple of years. Um, and uh, it's hard to have the lighting not be noticed in those instances because you have to do such large gestures uh, to have any sort of impact. Right. Uh, so, um, so when I am working at a really kind of small thing, uh, it's hard, but I do, I do often fight against those instincts. Um, we were talking about Jen Shriver, who's been on your podcast, who's one of my best friends. And, um, I have a running joke. Uh, uh sometimes we, we often, um, we'll use uh, some of the same assistants and programmers. And so, uh, we have a, I have a running joke, which is like, what would Jen do? Because Jen is a brilliant sort of minimalist designer and, um, she will use as few lights as possible, uh, to light a scene. Um, and she will, uh, 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 I would say she does not light to excess. Uh, she can, but um, it, she's really good at sort of pairing back and distilling a moment to just only what it needs to be. And so a lot of times if I'm like over lighting a scene or feeling like, should we have this idea? Uh, you know, it's always like, well, what would Jen do? Jen would turn those lights off and just leave them off. So that's what we do. So I do actively push against my instincts at times in an attempt to uh, uh, sometimes make, uh, uh, you know, there's the old, is it Coco Chanel? I forget, who is it? There's a very famous um, fashion icon that's, I'm probably misquoting, uh, that says like, you know, before you leave the house, you should look in the mirror and take one thing off, um, which, is a, which is a thing that, that uh, I think can also apply to design. Uh, it's like, okay, you have a lot of ideas, like take, get rid of one idea uh, and, and it, you might actually have like a clearer vision. So um, I'm aware of my instincts and, and I sometimes actively work against that um, to try to make, you know, better and more interesting work. It is Coco Chanel. It's amazing how fast Google works. That's good. Is it? All right. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> so um, good work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then. See, and you said you're not a researcher. You're, you're, <laughs> you're a crack researcher. Yeah. My, again, my team of Googlers. Um, what, what have you, uh, or sorry, do you, do you find it more challenging to work on a revival that is kind of being re-revived, not not so, like in a, in a new uh, light, uh, pardon the pun, or do you find it more challenging to work on a new work that's never been seen? It's a really good question. I'm not sure. I'm, I think they are equally challenging. I mean, okay. I will say I am, I, I, I feel more artistically fulfilled doing new work because you are, creating a template for something that has never existed. Right. And so um, I really enjoy the dramaturgy of lighting design and, and how it can help tell a story. And to the certain extent that it often gets me in trouble because I sometimes accidentally sort of overstep uh, uh, in terms of offering uh, uh, ideas or critique about the piece or other or elements of the piece um, because I get so sort of passionate and wrapped up in it. Uh, uh, so creating something new uh, it, it is sort of more exciting. No one's comparing it to anything. No one's ever seen it. Um, but I will say there is 
I also do get great pleasure from showing people a thing that they thought they knew in a way that they'd never seen it before. Um, I've like you, I've done a lot of like you said quote revivals. Uh, um, I did a sound of music a couple years ago uh, that um, I think was very very well received and visually uh, uh, it, it felt like no one had ever sort of seen a version. Uh, kind of scenically and then obviously with the lighting as well done like this before and it makes me laugh because in the in the past like four years I've actually seen other productions that look awfully similar to what we were doing but um you know that and I just did a cabaret uh that's that's currently running right now in Florida which is not like a complete it's not like a complete reimagining there's a cabaret running in London that's like very very different um but I felt like that it was like really interesting and unique um and and the feedback that I've gotten was again that people had never really seen it. And I had this guys and dolls that, that I did earlier in the season, which, you know, fingers crossed, we might, we might get to see again at some point um, guys and dolls. Everyone has seen guys and dolls. Everyone's done it. I've been in it. I've lit it. Everyone's seen a high school production, you know, but we, we, we made a version that was like felt really fun and fresh and exciting. Um, and so there is joy in that too. in sort of helping people re rediscover shows. Um, but there is that fear, right? I don't want to just be the guy who's only doing revivals. Um, I want to do new work and I, I really try to prioritize new work. And sometimes that means turning down higher paying jobs or, 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 or simply, you know, uh, having less resources or working for less uh, for the opportunity to work on something new because all of the shows that we love were at some time new, right? You know, there are these things that are now just in our, cultural consciousness, whether it's Hamilton or Lion King or Wicked or, you know, any of these things that that will now live on forever as these kind of tentpole pieces of work. Um, at, at some point, that was a new show with people in a room figuring out what should Lion King look like? What should Hamilton look like? Um, and then they made a thing which will now forever be associated with it. And you know, I think even as we've seen some of those like illegal Hamilton productions like popping up, they all look like the Broadway production. Uh, um, they don't it, they don't have to. You know, uh, I mean, you know, we could pick a show Newsies. I worked on the, the Broadway production of Newsies. Uh, um, there have been a lot of Newsies since then. Um, I would say for the most part, a lot of them look like the Broadway production. Um, I will say that uh there was another version of the Broadway Newsies that nobody saw, like a different design approach that was completely different. Had that been what the Broadway Newsies would have been, I assume all of the current Newsies would look like that one instead. You know, it's like it seeps into people's minds. And so um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and I don't think people should be, you know, copying original designs, but you are creating a foundation sort of for history of what that work will be. So um, that is exciting to, to get in on the ground floor of that. Do you think that that, that kind of copycat nature is because that's what the audience wants or that's all that the designer knows? And I mean, the, the, um, not the original designer, the, the designer of whatever, like you said, that knockoff production of Hamilton or, you know, these different, even if it's not a knockoff production, if it's a, fully licensed MTI, you know, whatever production, do you think that's more the red dress and Annie? This is an expectation that the audience has, or is it the designers and directors, you know, only know this one thing? Uh, I mean, I hate to say it. I, I, I do think to a certain extent it is either a, a certain level of laziness or uh, a lack of creativity, mm -hmm. uh, which is not, meant to be a, a, a personal knock on anyone you know only having said that i've done a lot of revivals of things and i i'm happy to say that i think a lot of them don't look anything like right. the original productions i mean i do think there are certain shows like in i've done in the heights four times now uh which is crazy i haven't to do anything like that um it's hard to do in the heights and not have it look a little bit like the original um uh you have to satisfy so many things. You need a front stoop. You need a bodega. You need a hair salon. You probably want some semblance of the George Washington Bridge in the background. There are only so many ways to do that. Um, uh, so, you know, sometimes those, I think that uh, the work and the script 
kind of everyone kind of arrives at similar locations. Um, but I also think that there are other shows that can be done a million different ways. Um, and you end up seeing a lot of the same shows looking similar. And I think it's just at some of the smaller institutions, at schools, at community theaters, you know, um, I think just you end up with things that look, you know, familiar to, to you know, or similar to the original, um, just because um, I think it's really hard to forget that stuff uh, once you've seen it. Uh, uh, you know, if you're someone that has, and now, you know, there's so many bootlegs on YouTube and, you know, production photos, and like, you know, once you see it, it's hard to forget it all. I think that, I think that some people can, um, you know, I did a next to normal uh, uh, earlier this year that looked nothing like any next to normal that I've ever seen. Um, there was no scaffolding. There were no light, like blinding light bulbs. Um, uh, uh, and, but I think like, if you look at most productions of next to normal, there are elements that feel familiar to the original production. Um, ours felt sort of very different, I thought. So um, you can get there, you can find new ways to do it. Um, I think it just takes a certain level of skill to, to really kind of start from scratch. And I just think that that can be hard for some people. Uh, so uh, I don't want you to name a show or name anything, but do you find that you take more from a show you are dissatisfied with or that you are satisfied with? Are you talking about one of my own? Yeah, shows? just like when you work on a production, when you work on a show and you are done with it, and you you know, checks cleared, you're mm -hmm. you, you just, you know, you've been able to walk away. Yeah. I'm assuming you, there are times when you have a feeling of I've really done it <laughs> or there are times when you're like, "Oh, I really shit the bed." Uh, do you find that you get more out of an, a, a, a success or a, you know, a dissatisfied design. Does that make sense? Like you, you it learn more does. as a personal designer. I, mean, I, I think I'm going to say, actually, I learn more if I'm not satisfied because I will say this is going to sound super conceited and I don't mean to sound like that, but there are some, because I usually work really, really fast um, on these things. We usually only have between, you know, three and six days to yeah. make these 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 really big shows. Um, I really feel like that I, I kind of get a little tunnel visioned and um, I just kind of like, it just I just do it. And then sometimes I look back on it and I go like, how did we do that? Like, that looks great. Uh, we made that in three days. Like, I, I'm not sure how we did that. And so, uh, but if something didn't go well or didn't look good, um, I, I'm really hard on myself and, and I'm always going like, what would I do differently? Like, e even if a show is going well, um, I will ask myself like, okay, what would I do differently? And, and sometimes it's actually intentionally constructive because sometimes we do shows again, um, you know, a show transfers, it might tour or whatever. So sometimes I will even sometimes make notes for myself, like next time, that was a thing I learned uh with ken bellington that you always sort of make a next time list um because if someone decides to do it again in three years you will have forgotten all that stuff by then so you make you make notes for yourself uh um but uh i'm someone that is always kind of obsessed with trying to improve on something so if it was great um then there might not be a lot to sort of dissect but if there are things that didn't go well or there are things with my own work that i felt like i could have been better um, I definitely will sort of process all that and go, all right, let's, let's solve this for next time. And I don't mean next time necessarily that show, just like in general, right. like, um, like I'll give a, I, I can give a perfect example because this is nobody's fault, but it's just the way it is. Like I have a show running in, in St. Paul right now. And, um, uh, this is sort of for lighting nerds, but like, I have a lot of moving lights with lamps, um, which is a thing that I don't actually use very often anymore. And you're finding less and less in the world, more and more LED fixtures. But just for uh, budget reasons and availability reasons, um, I have a bunch of fixtures with lamps. And um, man, we had a lot of issues just uh, uh, just because, you know, they're older lights uh, and, you know, you're, you're trying to match brightness and uh, maybe lamps are dying or, you know, obviously there's more heat with fixtures that have lamps. So other things in the lights sometimes uh, have issues. And so um, I I feel I was like, you know what, like this is what we need to do. But in hindsight, I go, you know, I'm not actually even sure if, if this was the best option 
uh, uh, because it, it just brought with it so many difficulties. Um, and so I was like, you know what? Lesson learned. Like moving forward, I really, really, really need to push for as many LED, you know, intelligent fixtures as possible because I don't have nearly as many maintenance issues right. as I had with that. So that that was just like a that was just like a takeaway for me that I'm like filing that away. Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember this, uh, you know, next time. So this could be a very quick answer. Is there anything other than the LED that has just completely revolutionized an industry like like lighting design has done? You know, I don't mean all industries. I you know I know you're not a connoisseur of every industry in the world, but is there anything like that that you can think of that has almost completely changed? And you alluded to this a while back. Uh, uh, I say that like we've been talking for days, but you alluded to this like minutes ago uh, that the LED has, you know, been able to eliminate gels and upkeep and maintenance and things like that and less lights, less fixtures, less power, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you can think of even in the world of lighting that uh, has has changed things so dramatically? I mean, honestly, for me, the iPhone. Um, because, uh, the way that we document, uh, now is completely different. You know, we never had a phone uh, or a still camera or a video camera that good in our pockets. Um, and now, um, uh, it is a, it's an invaluable tool. Um, we film everything. I film, I film run-throughs in the rehearsal hall. I film, uh, you know, I film rehearsals, uh, you know, just a little transition, uh, I film entire, you know, dress rehearsals. Um, and then, and, and now people are developing software to go with that. There's a great program called VOR, which I use, um, which is a way to get um, your lighting console information over top of the, the, uh, the iPhone video. Like as you, as you film it, um, it's become an invaluable tool for, uh, for doing notes, for sharing it with other, uh, other members of the team and showing, you know, where cues fire or this and that. So, um, but just having the iPhone and, and having the, the storage space that it has and the battery life that it has. I mean, I used to travel with like a little GoPro um, and I don't even use it anymore um, because my iPhone is a better camera um, and it's more reliable and I can get almost as wide of a shot as I could with the GoPro. Um, and so uh, for me, like that, that's like a non lighting thing. I mean, also I, I, I'll include iPads in that, you know, I focus with an iPad now, uh, 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 I don't, I mean, I use paper magic sheets at a table, but for focus, I have an iPad. I can see it in the dark. Um, there are a million other things. I, I always have the, uh, the run through from the studio open on my iPad so I can constantly see, uh, uh, you know, where we are. And there, obviously there's a million lighting apps for things. I take notes during a preview on my iPad. Um, so I don't have to be able to like, you didn't, didn't used to be able to see what I was writing. You know, I can see, I can make my iPad really dark. I use software that shows my lighting cue list on the iPad. So while I'm writing notes, I can see the cues right next to it. So I would say just that that um, that sort of infrastructure of the iPhone, the iPad, those personal devices, um, that has really, because that came out in 2008 um, and I moved to the city in 2006 um, right, I think 2008 is when the iPhone came out, um, and so I really, I really sort of seen that just completely change from everything from remotes and you know things like that, and and it's just been really, um, it, that's been a game changer, a game changer for us uh, uh, definitely, and I'm sure for all departments, right? Like you know, costume designers just snapping photos in in dressing rooms. Certainly, sound. I see every sound designer has got their iPad in the house, yeah. like mixing levels from different um um it's it's completely revolutionized like choreography and how choreographers now can um b block and document you know the the choreography um it's really changed it for everybody so that's a big one june 29th 2007 that's the iphone all right, all right so i was a little off <laughs> again thanks to my research team so i'm gonna get you out of here with a couple more questions but uh okay. i got i gotta quickly mention ken billington so ken uh, you know, six degrees of separation here. Uh, my sort of lighting mentor, who's actually a year younger than me, but uh, the guy that <clears throat> really got me into the business, uh, Nicholas Phillips, Nick Phillips, uh, was mentored by Ken Billington and is still 
kind of under his wing in, in certain extent. Yes. So uh, yes. I know Nick, please, please tell him. Oh, you do. Hello. All right. Um, Small world. Yeah, uh, we've never worked together, but, but just as you sort of mentioned, there is sort of a six degrees of Billington. Uh, and so um, I know a lot of those, uh, uh, I know a lot of those people. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he was really sort of instrumental in my training. I didn't go to grad school. Um, right. Just like Ken didn't go to grad school. Um, I went to, I went to Billington school and yeah. I was, um, I was in his studio for a year um, fairly soon after moving to New York. And I learned everything. I learned how to draft better because I hadn't really learned that in school particularly well. Um, I learned how to make a shop order for a Broadway show. I learned uh, uh, how to do focus charts. I, I mean, everything. Uh, um, I learned a ton working for him. Is there value in hand drafting? You mentioned that, you know, you learned how to draft. I'm assuming that was kind of pre-CAD or was that around, was that CAD Vectorworks world or? I mean, no, I mean, it existed. Uh, um, I mean, is there value in hand drafting? If you're asking me what you are, I think at this point, <laughs> no. I, I think that, I think that you, should learn. I think if you're if you're a lighting one freshman year, you should make a light plot by hand, simply so you understand kind of the the history of how this uh, came to be. Um, once you've done it once, I don't think there's a point in doing yeah. it uh, anymore. I'm I'm not someone that like clings to old fashioned methods yeah. simply because they're the way it used to be done. Um, everything is digital now. Uh, everything, you know, I haven't printed a light plot in years. Um, I haven't FedExed a light plot in a tube in years. Uh, everything is digital. I have plots open on my iPad. We circle things. We, you know, uh, 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 Vectorworks, you know, I do everything in Vectorworks. Uh, um, I do my, my design process is the drafting process. Um, they're not separate. Um, that, that's really the big thing. You know, when I worked for Ken, he would do sort of scribbles on, 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 vellum um little dots and yeah. 26 19 and then someone would go and they would take that and they would draft that um my design process is the drafting process i'm working in 3d a lot uh, i'm not drawing triangles like we learned in lighting school <laughs> i'm actually looking at beams in 3d space i'm seeing how big it is i'm seeing if it's hitting obstructions uh um it's all one and the same right. to me um if i had to make a if i had to, if i had to make a light plot by hand of the of the sh on the shows of the scale that I currently work at, I mean, I think I would be sort of out to sea. Yeah. Um, it, at this point, it's such an integral part of my process. Um, it would be really hard to go backwards. Yeah, uh, it's fun. All everything you just said just triggered me from uh, Kevin Rigdon's lighting classes, but uh, at the University of Houston. So, uh, and then quickly touch on this: what is Vor? I've never heard of Vor. Uh, maybe I should have. So you should look up for, I'm going to give it a great plug. It's a program by my friends, uh, Jess Greger and Scott Tusing that they also made with Dan Murphin, who is a British guy who um, also has a great app called Q-Track, which is the app that, that I mentioned earlier that I yeah. put on my iPad. Um, and Vor is just a piece of software. Uh, it is available for mobile uh, as well as desktop. The desktop one, you get more features. Um, and it's simply a way that uh, you connect to the lighting network uh, you can connect either wirelessly or uh, wired, um, and you can choose to superimpose information over top of the video. Um, you can have the cue number, the cue note, uh, the time elapsed since the last cue, the show title, the date. Uh, you can show time code. Um, and so uh, it's really easy to use. And uh, like for me, when I use it, I just keep my iPhone on a tripod and I just hit record and it records it and it puts it in my photo library and I can see where every light cue is and where it got fired. Um, and uh, that's sort of like the, the poor man's version um, uh, on a Broadway show. They usually have a separate computer for VOR. They're using the camera from the balcony rail. Um, you, can, you can link it up to your console so you, you can create magic sheet buttons to start and stop the recording. Um, and it's really, it within you know within like a year it's become sort of the industry standard for uh kind of documenting live video um uh for archival purposes and like i said even for just um uh, uh in rehearsal process i record things all the time and then immediately play it back 
and look at it and go, all right, that light cue is two seconds too early or, you know, showing a stage manager, you know, look, see when you called it, see how that piece is already in, you know, so uh, uh, it's, it's become an invaluable tool and um, it's really uh, quickly, like I said, quickly become sort of everyone's go-to thing. So uh, uh, Vore, yeah. uh, I think the website's like get Vore. Yeah. Get Vore.app. Uh, I'm going to put a link yeah. in the, in the, in the description. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's another thing that's like, I now can't live without. Um, it's uh, it's really great, and it's cool. so good for uh, archival purposes. Um, if you have to go back and do a show, uh, you know, not only do you have a video recording of it, but you have a video recording showing where every like you right. is. And what's great, what I love the most about Vor is it's not proprietary. The, you can share the video with anybody. Um, the minute the minute you're done recording, it exists. The the graphics are baked into the video. I can text it to you. I can upload it to Dropbox. Anybody can watch it. They don't need to download a piece of software. It's just a normal video file, uh, and you can just play it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's invaluable. Nice. Cool. Uh, while you're still plugging things, and then I'm going to get you out of here with a more uh, uh, specific question regarding the world of education, since that's what I'm supposed to focus on. But uh, talk about light humor. So uh, I saw it on your website and clicked on it and started watching a couple episodes and just uh, where did this come from? Out, out of boredom, out of creative, you know, needing creative outlets or what was it? So there's a little bit of a story. So um, many years ago, I would say probably about 12 to 13 years ago, uh, there was a website called Extra Normal. And it allowed you to animate your own sort of basic cartoons. You you type in a script and some basic uh, um, kind of gestures, and it would animate these like little silly people. So um, for fun, thirteen years ago, or whatever, um, I made a bunch that related to lighting and theater, and a couple of them are still around uh, today. Uh, uh, if you search for them, um, and so unfortunately, the website got taken down, and most of them got lost before I was able to kind of. Uh, uh, download them. Um, anyway, so I made these things. Um, they were just for fun and for friends, and and they kind of caught wind, and I suppose went viral before going viral was even a thing. Uh, and so that was sort of a thing, and that was that, and that was just. I have a lot of like, I go on these little tangents. You know, I have a podcast. I have like, I just I get I get like into like little uh, projects, and then I do them for a little while and get really obsessed. And then I sort of move on to something else. Um, and so then over the pandemic, uh, uh, four wall, um, had decided that they wanted to sort of, they had, they had been experimenting with doing this sort of like little animated shorts and they wanted to kind of expand that idea. And, um, uh, some of the people they were working with had remembered that I had done these things, uh, and had sort of reached out to me, and uh, because I have a little bit of an interest in like uh, like creative writing uh, uh, and like writing like little comedy scripts and things like that. So they had reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? It was the pandemic. I had nothing to do. Um, um, and Zoom was a thing. So we can now record people's voices over uh, Zoom. Um, and uh, I said, yeah, this could be fun. So um, we came up with a bunch of ideas and we started writing scripts. Um, and um, that's where that came from. And then uh, we all went back to work, uh, and now and now we're still doing them. Funny enough, literally after you and I finish here, uh, I need to go uh, watch uh, a cut uh, because we're actually trying to get it out today. Okay. Um, so um, I, I need to uh, do some because uh, I don't do I don't do any of the animating. I just do right. uh, uh, the writing. Uh, a woman named Skylar Smith uh, does all the great animating, um, but I do all the the audio editing and all of the the sound effects and 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 so I write it and then sort of do all the recordings. Um, so uh, I have to put some finishing touches on that. Anyways, it's been a lot harder now that uh, we're all back to work. I right. do them with Jeff Kreuter, who is also a, a very busy working designer. So between the two of us uh, finding time, um, we spend a lot, we spend a really, really long time making them. We go through multiple script dra drafts and and recording sessions and and it actually, it, it requires quite a lot of work to do. So um, we've just been you know trying to figure out how to find time to keep doing them uh, among all of our uh, kind of day jobs, if you will. Um, but that's where it came from, you know, just like a, just like a fun way to kind of, uh, uh, uh poke fun at ourselves a little bit. Uh, and, um, you know, they seem to have been pretty well received. So, yeah. um, uh, we're going to keep doing them, uh, as, as long as we can find time to, to, to squeeze them in. That's funny. Uh, I, I enjoyed the, the zoom one especially, but, uh, so I'm going to get you out of here on, on this, uh, 
where should where do you think your personal opinion that a young designer should start and put a lot of their energies when they're kind of breaking in uh like like where do you mean like pre-college so, post-college so, like well, what that, part that's the, the the answer is yes like should should they be looking for a great college uh uh you know should they be looking for a great college education should they be looking beyond college should they go to college but also not put all their eggs in that basket and make sure that the college program is the best in the world should they and, and be looking for post-college uh experience yeah i mean i think I think, yes, I think that like a four-year training uh, of technical theater and lighting design, you know, uh, 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 I think that there that that is very worthwhile. Um, you know, there are arguments as to how much of kind of a liberal arts education you, you should get versus a conservatory education. Um, I lean more towards the conservatory side. Um, plenty of my colleagues will disagree and say you should be taking English classes and 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 history of Spanish architecture and all those things. Um, and I think all that stuff is important. And I think that you should find time to pursue some of that stuff on your own and learn about things that interest you. Um, my personality, is, as I mentioned earlier, can get slightly tunnel visioned. And, and I, one, uh, you know, my college was not a conservatory. Um, we did take other classes, but um, I sort of packed it into a conservatory for myself and took did as many shows as possible and, and, and took as many classes in the theater department as possible and, and tried to turn it into something that was that was like a felt like a really intense four years. Um, and even having said all that, I felt like that there are huge swaths of things that I didn't learn. Uh, uh, and so I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do when I got out. So, um, but it is important also for that other stuff, right? You know, you need the script analysis. You need, you know, uh, sometimes they'll have like uh, designers take an acting class, which I actually think is really smart. Uh, and, um, you know, you should do the other thing. Like I'm not a costume designer. Uh, I'm not a set designer, but like in school I had to do those things. And I think that, I think that you should have to do all of the jobs uh, and you get a better understanding of them and 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 what your colleagues are, are doing. Um, and then for me, I, like I said, I didn't go to grad school. Um, I just started doing it. Um, I think that grad school is the right idea for some people and for others, it is not necessary. And there's really only, um, only you can decide. I really don't think you should pay for grad school. I think that by the time, you know, after four years of college, like um, I don't think you should be doing anything to rack up any debt. Uh, because it's really hard to make a living doing this, especially when you first start out. And I think you have to be in as best of a financial situation as possible to give yourself as uh, as much freedom to take whatever jobs you want to take. Um, and some of them will not pay well. Uh, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to change that. But but still, young designers starting out are never going to be making, you know, tons and tons of money. And you need the opportunity to be able to take that which means you need as much financial stability as possible. Um, and if you've got thousands of dollars of student loans, that's just going to make that more difficult. So if you can get a free ride to a grad school, I think that that is a big uh, difference. If you can't, um, I would I would caution against that. Um, um, uh, for me personally, I just got sick of being in the classroom. I got sick of making light plots that were never going to be hung. And I got sick of people standing up and presenting lighting design ideas and concepts and then having the room critique them as if that was the thing to be critiqued it's like that's not the design the design is the is the living breathing thing on stage that we're never going to do because this is only exists in a classroom and I, it, it always felt sort of like standing around looking at a plot and someone going like oh i don't know about like putting those lights there it's like well neither do i that's why we'd hang them and find out um and and i always found that sort of uh uh bit of a waste of time. Once you understand the basics and the foundation, um, there are no wrong answers. You can have all your green green front light. You can light a whole show with footlights. If it looks good and you can rationalize it based on the needs of the piece, then it might be the right idea for that piece. Um, but it's hard to know that until you actualize it. And so I just got sick of, of kind of academic uh, uh, um, uh, exercises. And I was just like, I just need to do this. Yeah. Um, and so for me, so for me, then it was just about saying yes to as many jobs as possible, working in as many spaces as possible, 
um, and just doing it. And like you said earlier, like learning on the job, finding what works, finding what doesn't, developing your style, developing, you know, your kind of go-to solutions and methods. Uh, and I think you can only do that by doing it. So um, sometimes being in school is where you can learn all that. And sometimes you go, okay, great. I've gotten everything I can out of this. Um, now I just need to go do it and, uh, and, and fail and learn. And, you know, so that was sort of my path. The only, the, the one other big thing I'll say is directors. Um, it, it, and I think that's the thing that people don't think about as young designers is that you're going to be hired by directors. And the only way you're going to be hired by directors is if they know you and if you know them. So as early as possible, you need to start making, building relationships with directors. And so if you're looking at a design program, uh, uh, um, I would say like, look at the directing program and do they have a directing program? Are they putting out working directors? Are those directors doing the kinds of projects that interest you? Because when you graduate, they're gonna be the only directors you know, and you're gonna be the only designers they know. And so naturally you might work together as when you all leave school um, because you know each other. And so um, if you don't have uh, directors that you know, um, that you're, you're already starting kind of like from behind the eight ball because now you've got to meet directors because they're the ones who assemble the teams. Gen generally, the theaters do not hire designers. They don't create the teams. The directors do. And so um, you want to you want to get your advantage as soon as possible. And this is something that I didn't have. Uh, and so um, it did take me a while to kind of uh, develop my director relations. So um, that's the thing that I think people don't necessarily think about, um, but they should.